difficult to keep the line between the past and the present. Do you believe that someone out of the past can enter and take possession of a living being? We may be through with the past, but the past is not through with us. Welcome back to The Next Picture Show, a movie that we podcast devoted to a classic film and the way it shaped our thoughts on a recent release. I'm Keith Phipps, here again with Scott Tobias and Genevieve Kosky. But not Tasha Robinson, who's on some kind of quest or something. Uh, but joining our fellowship this week is, once again, Roxana Haddadi. Hello again, Roxana. Hello. Hello. So on last week's episode, we discussed The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, the first of three Peter Jackson-directed movies adapting J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings. Jackson followed that trilogy with a second trilogy adapting The Hobbit. But if you thought that left no Tolkien left to adapt, well, think again. Tolkien's novel ends with a series of appendices covering the long, long history of Middle-earth leading up to the events of The Lord of the Rings. From those appendices has sprung The Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, a new prime video series set during the second age of Middle-earth as a conflict with Sauron and the forces of darkness looms on the horizon. Created by the writing team of J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay, the series features an extensive cast playing an assortment of elves, dwarves, humans, and other creatures making their way through Middle-earth and points beyond, like the island kingdom of Numenor. We know from The Lord of the Rings that Numenor doesn't make it to the Third Age, so this story probably isn't headed toward a happy ending, but for now it's just getting started and still has a long way to go. We watched the first three episodes of the first season, and we'll talk them over after the break. My brother gave his life hunting the enemy. His task is now mine. Stand with me. Ours was no chance meeting. Not fate. Nor destiny. Ours was the work of something greater. Each of us. Everyone must decide who we shall be. I am not the hero you seek. Whatever it was you did, be free of it. One day this will be your kingdom. All right, big question. Talking on TV, does it work? <laughs> I've I've been waiting. I've been waiting all week to hear what Scott thinks I, yeah, based on I his earlier only, teaser. <laughs> I have only been listening for like the hour that we've been doing this, and I want to know what Scott thinks. Uh, uh, it's fine. <laughs> I, it, it, it really is not. It's really unfair to the show to pair it with the with the Peter Jackson films, which just make it look so puny in comparison to as much for as much as been has been invested in it. And when you think about things like casting, charisma, you know, ex, you know, a sort of a certain kind of level of expression, all that stuff is sort of missing here. It's just story. You, you really just have, I think, one actor in the film, in the uh, series, at least so far, that has a real magnetism. Uh, um, and Morphe Clark is kind of like the one performance that sort of stands out. It's fine. I mean, I, you know, again, I, I we'll see where it goes. I mean, this is a TV series. It's developing a lot of characters over a lot of space. It's hard to really 
render a hard judgment, but I was feeling a progressively less excited by it with each episode, which is not a really <laughs> great trajectory for me. It's fine, but it's like, ugh, I don't know. Do I, do I even continue watching four unless other people say you got to watch it? It's, it gets awesome. I don't know. So that's kind of where I'm at on, on, on this series. So Scott, not going to watch five seasons of it. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> is that how, is that how many seasons this is supposed yes. to be? Five? Yeah. Yes. Of how many, of how many episodes per? I think this one's maybe eight. eight. Yeah. Yeah. So 40 hours. 40 hours. All right. I'm going to I'm going to push back. Uh okay. I mean I, I feel like I well, I'm recapping the show for Fulcher. I think when you recap a show you almost kind of develop Stockholm syndrome so maybe take that into do. account where you like just deeply invested in it. But um I think it's token on TV. I think that's what it is. I mean I, I think it really kind of uh and you know I I think you're not going to get the grandness of Jackson's version, you're not going to get the compactness of, relatively speaking, compactness of uh, Jackson's version. I mean, we're drawing this story out, but I think you know, I, I'm not going to say it's. I don't. I don't want to say it's lesser than a lesser accomplishment than Jackson. I think it. All right, it's a lesser accomplishment than Jackson. But I, th <laughs> okay. I, mean, I think it's. I think it's a, a solid token on TV, and I do like more performances than than you do. I like Markella Cavanaugh as, as Nori a lot, kind of, kind of the breakout, like. Um, um, you know, oh, I saw, I saw, I saw that grimace, Scott, I like that performance. So she, I think she's fun as, as the rebellious, rebellious hobbit. And like, yeah, they're both understated, reserved performances, but I like Ismail Cruz Cordova as, as Aaron Deere and Nathanin Boniati as, as uh, Bronwyn, uh, as sort of this, this elf and, and human locked in a, a very understated forbidden love that, that they, you know, I've seen a fourth episode. I'll give you a little bit of a spoiler. They it really looks like they're going to kiss, but then, but then they don't. Um, you know, like drag that out for five seasons. It's great. Sa Sam and Diane, those two, as long as possible. Because I, I think, you know, anything that brings so sexual tension to Tolkien is kind of a miracle. You know? and, the, and, like, and that's the thing is that this feels, I mean, I hate to say that I love Jackson's movies, but I also know that like there are people who loathe them and don't mm. really consider them good. Tolkien adaptations. So I feel like if you are looking for that sort of like denseness that Tolkien can have, I feel like the TV show is doing a pretty effective job of adapting that sort of pacing and tone and everyone's going to almost kiss. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of almost happening right? Like Tolkien sort of loves that tension of almost being tempted, almost being seduced, almost being corrupted until you're all the way in. And it seems like coming back from that is impossible. I think the show does a good job of that. And I probably also am like more fond of these performances than Scott is. And I also just, I, I love how it looks. I mean, I wrote about this, like, I, I love how bright it is. I love that you are getting the sense of the world's goodness being tied to sunlight and moonlight and fairy light and all that stuff. And I love that the show is making that part of its visual language. I, I loved seeing the ship to Valinor and the fact that it's horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it, was, like, it was like, oh, the elves are, the elves are a cult. I get it now. Yeah, you know, <laughs> the elves are just, they're just, you know, like sailing to the undying land. Oh. That sounded so nice in, in the movies. And I'm like, oh, actually, you're sort of being like eviscerated. That's cool, too, I guess. <laughs> 
yeah. So I mean, I I have liked seeing parts of this world that are alluded to in the movies actually being captured and rendered here in exciting and different ways. These are yeah. app- these are appendices, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, to be clear. But, but uh, I mean that's what as I understand it makes it kind of an interesting adaptation exercise because I think I think maybe Keith you said this in in one of your recaps like it's really about just filling in the blanks of mm-hmm. of what Tolkien gave not you know But they're big big blanks like yeah, you, you, get, yeah. you get names and, and broad events and that's any the rest of it you have to fill in yourself. Yeah, where whereas Jackson was like pairing way way down from a ton of material so it's kind of like two different sides of the adaptation coin. But does this run into kind of prequel problems though the same way that the, the sort of the no Star because Wars there's only did. two characters that we know but i mean but, 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 the, but the sense is like it's like oh hey look there's the guy who's not gonna throw the ring into, into Mount but i mean Dube, but like, couldn't oh, you say that like fire and blood does the same thing i mean scott are you just saying that all prequels have this problem or are you saying it's spe- no no i just i just, I just felt like i just you know it was it's it's more compelling in some instances than others it just it doesn't feel to me yet that the stakes are that high i just maybe it just isn't maybe i just maybe three episodes isn't isn't the sample size i need for this show to really be like totally gripped by it, it just there just seems to be mm-hmm. something missing from it just something like like it, it's, it doesn't have juice for me like it doesn't have, it needs a little it, it, you know that's kind of my word it just doesn't have that kind of spark it just feels like it sort of sort of plods along and it and, and doesn't it's not gripping to me on a very just basic level if we were only talking about the first episode i'd be more inclined to agree with you but i think episode two which dropped the same day they premiered these them them side by side i think the second episode started clicking a lot more for me because we started to move beyond the table setting i mean the first episode there is a lot of opening narration and just like this is the world you know and and fellowship starts the same way like that's fine i'm not complaining about it but it did very much feel like i am being explained to what this this world is but then the second episode we got so many character matchups and it felt like episodic storytelling like there was a th- there were themes that stretched throughout the episode there were there was rhymes in the different like pairings and what they were doing you know those scenes that we were talking about in fellowship that that we really like just these sort of like characters interacting like that's the whole second episode pretty much like yes there's some plotty stuff but like sort of that scene between uh elrond and and Durin the fourth where he like comes to visit and Durin's mad at him for <laughs> for like abandoning their friendship for 20 years and they have dinner together and meet the family it's like the whole episode is just like kind of friends reconnecting and yes it's like part of the larger plot but i really love that we just kind of spent time getting to know these characters within all of those plot machinations it does feel like it is taking its time and not rushing us to the fireworks factory i can see also being wary of that like i I do have kind of a feeling this might become a bit of an endurance test (laughs) over Mm -hmm. over the long haul but at this early stage that second episode did kind of hook me in on sort of a character level and then the third episode definitely just advanced advanced a lot of plot in terms of you know the orcs and sauron and and what you sort of like our big 
bad is going to be. And also all the Numenor stuff was was introduced there. So then the third episode started like, you know, piling on a lot more stuff. So as long as the series like kind of keeps taking these moments to just spend time with the characters in this world and like kind of give us a sense of, of who they are and what they care about and how they're different from each other and how they're alike. I think that's a really good use of television, of Tolkien on TV, as Keith says. And I think Lord of the Rings was so much more, I would argue that Lord of the Rings as a text is so much more like the show than the movies are in terms of like doing a lot of wandering and meandering around Middle Earth and like meeting unique and interesting characters and spending like I don't know, 20 pages with them before you move on. I mean, we sort of joked about, like, no Tom Bombadil, but, like, there are a lot of characters in the books and sort of, like, side adventures and side quests that get cut in the movie version. And I sort of like that sense of if we're going to spend time in this place and understand how seemingly disconnected parts of it are actually experiencing the same things and the same sort of hardships and the same sort of oppression and like dissent. Like I like seeing those connections because at least in my perspective, I feel like those connections were like Tolkien's whole bag. It was like finding commonality with people who seemingly were different from you Mm -hmm. to be able to unite and work toward common goals, which is also why it's hilarious to have like the racist kickback by being like, Ooh, Mm -hmm. no, not on. (laughs) Uh, Which is just like hilariously ironic and deeply bleak. But yeah, I mean, I, I agree. It is five seasons is sort of daunting. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how they can like really maintain this necessarily Mm -hmm. over five seasons, but I will say that so far, comparatively i'm like far more interested in this than some of the other fantasy stuff we've gotten lately like i am more interested than wheel in this than i had been in wheel of time i'm enjoying it more than house of the dragon so i think that there is a good sense of enveloping happening mm-hmm. while still you know having distinct things that happen within 60 minutes that i can point to and be like okay this is a plot development this is a character connection like these are things that are happening i've told genevieve that i do however hate the child the teenage child <laughs> no, nori t- no 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 theo? uh bronwyn's son yeah theo trash yeah, Horrible. yeah. he seems <laughs> like a, it's a very not. contemporary kid you yes. know and that's that's kind of off-putting this kid listens to My Chemical Romance. He is not <laughs> existing. And I say that as a My Chemical Romance fan. This child does not exist in Middle Earth. Like, get out of here. Absolutely not. But yeah, I'm liking it so far. Yes, yeah, I am. Course, but, but no, I no, it's like, fine. I, I, I basically I, I, watch, I watch all the fantasy shows. I watch Wheel of Time, <laughs> even though it, it's, it's kind of like you know, Game of Thrones on a uh, uh, Xena Warrior Princess budget at times. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> Which one was it? That was another uh, Amazon thing, wasn't it? Wheel of Time? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, th- yeah. I think that this is what I, I think Prime is going all in on what they perceive to be dad content. So whether <laughs> that's like military stuff or high fantasy stuff. And they also mm-hmm. have their, they also have a football the, game on tonight. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, it, 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 they have like, don't they have like, the, what's the World War II series uh, too? Dad's, oh, Dad's Man in the High Castle? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Oof. yeah. <laughs> they canceled you know, it, it, Paper it, Girls though, which was, which uh, got off to, I thought, rough start, but then, then it got good. But I adapted Man in the High Castle with a friend for an, an independent study in college. That script was not, oh. that script was not used. 
It was. I just remember it's. Well, it, thank it God, because it would have been a hell of a conflict of interest uh, if uh, you had written Man in the High Castle refused, to have you on I this. I would have refused myself <laughs> from uh, writing about the series because it was really boring, um, <laughs> needlessly boring. Uh, but I, so you, Roxana, were. Did you find your? Are you finding yourself then more immersed in this world as it goes along? It's not. It's. It's. You know, like like Genevieve was saying. Maybe the setup was a little bit labored for her in the, in the first episode, but then, you know, it's starting to click. Was that is that kind of the way you're seeing it? I was sort of all in from the first one because I really like this version of Galadriel. Yes. And I think that using her as an entry point is really fascinating. I mean, in Fellowship, as we discussed, like, I find her pretty horrifying in Fellowship. Because, and I think the hobbits do as well. And I think for the most part, we're supposed to, because here's someone who is thousands of years old, who has seen and remembered things that pretty much everyone else alive has forgotten, and who has like lived through some like dark shit and internalized a lot of it. So uh, it's funny, rewatching Fellowship now, I'm like, oh God, she's, oh, I don't want to. <laughs> I also would not want to stay in the woods of Lothlorien. I get it, Boromir. But I like seeing this version of her who is overcommitted and has nothing else going on in her life. But I understand her zealousness to a certain degree. So I agree with you. There is the prequel problem with Galadriel in that we know she's right. Right. So like in that way, there is <laughs> yeah. some sort of like dramatic dampening. Like it's not a surprise that she's correct. But then I think it's interesting then in two and three to pair her with a human character who might not necessarily care that she's correct. And so I think it's sort of challenging our expectations of that character in a way that I didn't anticipate. I mean, is he a little bit too much like Aragorn? Probably, but mm -hmm. nobody can be Vigo, and I just have to accept that. <laughs> he's, no. he's testier, though. Uh, he's, yes. he's yeah, yeah, you know, he's, he's a little grumpier. And, he's and a little more, grumpier, more for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she's great, though. See, that's the thing, though. It's like, I feel like sort of sitting up in my chair watching when her. When she's around, yeah. Right, yeah. I mean, like, like that to me, her piece of the of the story so far is, you know, taking up all of the action in terms of, like, at least my interest in the show. It's like that is the performance has got that charisma that I, you know, kind of desperately want from the rest of the show. And and, uh, and she's kind of, you know, she's she's very purposeful in a way that's that's also kind of complicated because, because we don't, you know, she doesn't know... She's very single-minded, but in a way that that shuts a lot of people out. Mm -hmm. It's it's there's a there's a richness to that character that I can see, that you can see right away, that compels you right away, and and that you can see developing and you know in a million different ways over the the course of of like what five, five seasons. Um, mm -hmm. so, but um, I'm just I'm kind of, maybe I'm hoping that that the other pieces of this narrative are going to be compelling in the same way because i'm just not quite feeling it uh right mm -hmm. now i can understand that i mean i also don't necessarily think that all of the subplots are like equally paced either mm. so i can sort of understand being drawn to one more so than the other because it sort of feels like the Harfoot stranger stuff is dragging a little bit comparatively with how quickly Galadriel like made it out of the sundering yeah. seas and ended up in yeah. <laughs> like like how many miles or leagues has has Galadriel traveled in the time that uh, that the stranger has yeah. pushed a cart like half a mile uh, yeah. yeah 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 I'm that's, curious about that that said like I 
did in the third episode like i liked the payoff of the stranger uh, you, you know yes. and and it probably would not have hit as well if we didn't have you know an episode and a half of just kind of like hanging out with nori and the stranger and right. her her worried friend and you know kind of living in this dynamic for a bit so, so it's fortunate poppy. for that poppy is such poppy, a buzzkill yeah. i know Just a real buzzkill <laughs> yeah but that was actually one of my favorite moments was when you when you, you learned the fate of her her family i think that mm, was yes. actually really and it was done in a really uh gracefully integrated way too you can like yes. I, i'd be a little i'd be a little wary too if, if that that happened i i did really like that bit of lore the Harfoot lore like that that you know people mm-hmm. get you know, the whole getting left behind and how it's just sort of like part of it the little chant that you know teaching through folklore and the little chant mm-hmm. that lenny, lenny henry's character gives and everything I, I don't know i think that's that's smartly developed i also think that the stranger and his like fumbling into the ceremony was the clearest moment of like hobbit humor for me like we were talking about how strangely or maybe not strangely but how sometimes unexpectedly funny fellowship is and so i liked the sort of goofiness of him just wandering into this and ruining something that was very meaningful uh and i sort of liked the physicality of that so i'm curious you know how much longer will the stranger be non-communicative but i also think that he's not who people think he is so he's not gandalf right Mm -mm. i don't think he is at least i don't don't oh is that the theory i thought the theory was he was sauron but uh um... i think this I think the, the the common theory is that he is Gandalf. I think mm. that he is Saruman. Oh, so Spoiler alert. alert. All right. Spoiler All right. alert. Wow. I'm <laughs> but wait, did well, Wizards now, live now, that long? Now I need to know. And yeah, I mean, I don't even want to talk out of turn here because I don't act. I'm only like receiving this secondhand from my my husband's theorizing. But like Gandalf, Saruman and, and Radagast, like they all were born or created at the same time, like from the same Balrog. So, and obviously like this could be taking liberties with that information, you know, like that's certainly possible, but I like the idea that this series is figuring out a way to integrate something that is not rooted in lore that people can suss out and figure out. Like, I would like it if this yeah. was something like kind of original to this or, you know, that it has an unexpected link to the lore and is not just like showing us where Gandalf came from. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, the, the clue that I, the clue that I had is that in fellowship, if you're watching with like closed captions, Saruman speaks Quenya, which is like mm. one of the ancient languages. And in Rings of Power, if you're watching with subtitles on, that's what the stranger speaks to. Hmm. Mm. I mean, it, it could very much be. At any rate, I hope it's not something they drag out and tease in a way that is like fan baity. Like, yes. like, like, I'm fine if this character remains mysterious for a while, but if the, mm-hmm. you know, if it's very like wink, wink, nudge, nudge for an extended period of time, I'm gonna definitely gonna get annoyed. Are, are there Agreed. any clues in 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 uh, the Lord of the Rings about which one is better at carrying heavy carts? Is that- <laughs> hmm. I mean, we do see Gandalf on carts a lot. Yeah, yeah he is yeah, on so- a cart. That's true. We were yeah. actually introduced to him on a cart in Fellowship of the Ring. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, excuse me, I have to go write a Reddit thread. 
<laughs> all right well i think we'll be talking about this some more after the break when we when we bring in the peter jackson films uh a little bit and compare what they do with tolkien and and versus the television show we'll be right back with some connections remarkable i never dreamed to find your city so changed 20 years will do that. Has it been only 20? Just tell me your secret. Our secrets are our own. Durin, have I offended you? To answer that one, we'd need a longer lift. If you wish to discharge me without explanation, that is your choice. Better feathery shirts it takes. But before squandering the best opportunity any dwarf princess had in a generation, you might at least listen to the proposal I bring. Ah, there it is. The true purpose of your visit, you want something. I journeyed here to see my friend whom I greatly miss. Missed? You missed my wedding. The birth of my children, two of them. You cannot barge into my mountain and demand I welcome you with open arms. You cannot claim that which you discarded. Discarded? Twenty years may be the blink of an eye to an elf. But I've lived an entire life in that time. Now it's time for Connections. We bring these two films together and talk about all the things they have in common. There are some similarities here. Can we, can we, can we, suss, can we suss them out? Um, I, I mean, it, it might be more productive to like talk about the, the contrasts, uh, yeah. you know, but, but between the two of them. But, uh, but well, Keith, I do, I, I do you're leading the, this the discussion. The ones we already kind of touched on before, which, which is adaptation versus filling in the gaps. See, this is not an original Tolkien story, but it is an attempt to construct what an original Tolkien story might have been if it had ever been been written versus Jackson's films, which are have a very, very well-known story that you know, almost like you're going to get into more trouble with taking liberties there too. So it's two very different tasks. What do you, what do you think about I mean, I want to hear Roxana talk a little bit about what she was discussing off mic about the, the estate and sort of what who uh, have you know given their blessing and even involvement uh, with with Rings of Power, but are not so much about Jackson's films, right? Yeah. Right, Roxana. Yeah, my understanding is that the Tolkien estate was not a fan of Jackson's films, and I think there is a quote from I believe it's Christopher Tolkien. Uh, who I think is who like helped in organizing and finishing the Summerillion when it was published mm-hmm. after J.R.'s passing is I believe he said something about how like Jackson's films lack like the beauty and grace and like thoughtfulness of his father's work. It's like a very shady quote, mm. <laughs> basically just saying that like Peter Jackson's movies like dishonored and disrespected the original work. So uh, Jackson was not asked to be involved in the show, which I can like understand to a certain extent, but it seemed like that was like a very deliberate, like don't let Peter Jackson next to this television show choice because the estate is so heavily involved in the show. So there is like a very clear schism there, uh, which is interesting because the movies were 
so successful. I mean, won a ton of awards, made a bunch of money. And I would think, as you mentioned, Genevieve inspired like a whole new generation of people to read Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yeah. Like we would not have this show without the movies, right? Like no one's arguing that. (laughs) No, absolutely not. I mean, again, like we were talking about the Bakshi, like I liked the Bakshi, but like it wasn't the Bakshi that was getting people, (laughs) you know, getting this show off the ground. So, So it's very fascinating to me that level of involvement for this versus what I'm assuming is non-involvement for the films. And I mean, you know, we've sort of seen that sometimes the person being involved, like the author of a work being involved can be good and it can be bad. I think that Game of Thrones is probably the clearest example of that, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. Grimm being involved in some ways was solid because it felt like the storytelling was tighter. Uh, But also, if you read portions of Fire and Blood, there's like a weird amount of stuff in there that I do not want to see adapted (laughs) into TV uh, that is just like sort of sexist and uh, I mean, not sort of sexist, more than sort of sexist. Anyway, I think it's interesting to have the estate be so involved here. I think that's why you are getting this sort of pacing and Mm -hmm. this very deliberate discussion of like good versus evil, sacrifice versus corruption. I will be shocked if the human and the elf ever kiss because kissing <laughs> kissing is a no-no <laughs> in Tolkien's text. So yeah, I mean I think that there are these very obvious differences that probably have to do with maybe what the estate thinks the work is uh and maybe they're, you know, laying out a certain set of expectations for that. With regard to the estate, I mean, uh, uh, how loud was the cash register ringing for the <laughs> for this in comparison to the Jackson uh, films? I mean, isn't it? A, I mean, they spent Amazon spent a billion, right? I don't know it's how much like of that. that yeah. I don't know yeah. how much of that went to the estate, but I do know I'm the show overall. There are so estates far. in the, the estate people. They 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 care. <laughs> I, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say they they uh, you know care about that 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 their thoughts on these things are driven by uh, anything so cynical as cash. But like, um, <laughs> but I, I but I, I do. Uh, but it is it is interesting to see, to certainly to see how um, they're developing this in this idea of adapting a book that a story that everyone's familiar with uh a lot that many people are familiar with versus it filling in the gaps which would seem to allow for more freedom i guess i mean again not not having and i haven't read it but it sounds also like there's a dedication to kind of getting it right as well i mean it it struck me the series struck me as quite is playing it quite safe i mean you know Mm -hmm. in a way that you know it can be disappointing on project of scale because it's kind of like okay we can't mess this up and the house of the dragon mm-hmm. has the same quality it's like okay we this is part of this very important pricey thing that we're doing and we we, we cannot take too many wild swings everything has to be very deliberate right i can agree with that i mean i think Watching Fellowship made me think that there was, as much as we talked about how confident it was, there are like visual risks there that I do not think that Rings of Power has taken yet. For as well lit and, you know, beautiful a lot of these locations are and like the elaborateness of the elves forest and the sculptures and all of that stuff. I do think you're right that there is in some ways a certain staidness that i hope 
the show eventually breaks out of. I think that the orc attack on Bronwyn and Theo was probably the most exciting Mm -hmm. moment for me, just because it felt like, okay, we're doing a horror movie for like five minutes. And, you know, we're pushing outside of this like wide shot location building, like, beautiful interior uh so i, I think that an was interesting, interesting fight too yeah you, you know like it had actual fight choreography and we and we get i mean we get another one with a sort of like the elf uprising against the orcs but that's you know a little more sort of you know flashy elf fighting uh mm-hmm. with like the running up the was it a war he ran up i don't even uh, remember but you know mm-hmm. but that what you're talking about the sort of the orc attack invasion or whatever like it's just like a sort of a small room scuffle you know and mm-hmm. you can see what's happening and uh, you know there's uh, levels and dynamism to it it's a it's a cool scene yeah so like that's the stuff that i would like to see more of to feel like it's taking some sort of danger mm-hmm. but to your point too genevieve like danger that doesn't feel like a fake out like i'm not going to accept that any of these characters die <laughs> in the season so yeah. please don't pretend that that's going to happen like that's not going to happen that said you know to bring this back to the connection of of adaptation you know mm-hmm. rings of power is an, an additive exercise of adaptation whereas fellowship is you know at at heart, sort of a, it's got to be a subtractive exercise, you know, to, mm-hmm. to fit this even into three movies, even into their extended. I mean, again, poor Tom Bombadil, you know, but in terms of like maybe the estate and how, and their feelings about it, I could see some sort of, you know, thinking along the lines of Jackson had to strip mine the story to a certain extent to make it work as a film whereas this series has the freedom and the expanse of five seasons to fill in jr's story in a way that they approve of and Mm -hmm. you know is reverent of what he did and is probably not going to kill anyone or make any giant changes to the mythology and i think when you're like the keepers of a massive mythology like that, that is probably maybe a little easier pill to swallow in terms of adaptation. And I think maybe this is the flip side of sort of the prequel curse, where if you know where this story is going to end up, which surely the people adapting it do, obviously people who've read Lord of the Rings do, I do wonder then if it does give you more freedom to like, play around before you get there and mm-hmm. add those sort of character details like Durin Durin making clear that 20 years in his life is of course monumental compared mm-hmm. with Elrond being sort of like forgetful <laughs> of the fact that people <laughs> yeah. have shorter lives I mean I think maybe it gives you the freedom to explore like those inter-character dynamics and especially in this world like the interracial dynamics that are a little bit more illuminating and help build to Tolkien's overall like collaborative idea of how we dispense with evil Uh, And how we try to, how important it is to remember things that have been lost, right? I mean, that's fellowship. That's like Galadriel's whole deal is honoring the sacrifices that other people have made and carrying forward that loss and maintaining its importance. I mean, I don't know if I want like five seasons of that exploration, but I do think it gives you more ability to prod at those ideas 
I got a question about themes. I mean, uh, Tolkien was a, a devout Catholic, and I yeah. think you can see that in in the book as well. Where it's, it's there is good and there is evil. You know, evil eats away at good, tempts it good mm-hmm. at every turn. I mean, and and you know, you have to look out for corruption every moment of of your life. And I think you see that play out very distinctly in Jackson's films in a way that feels true to Tolkien, whatever Christopher Tolkien says. Um, and <laughs> I feel that very heavily in the early scenes of the first episode of Rings of Power um, in a way that I, I feel it less in later episodes. But I also wonder if that's a question of pacing. Like we're playing the long game here mm-hmm. and we have characters that we know, you know, are, are fresh faced and idealistic now that that are going to do some bad things at some point down the line. So I don't, I, I don't know. Does, does, it, does it have less impact in a t- TV series or are we just kind of wait, you know, we're three chapters into a, what is likely to be a 40 chapter story. So perhaps it's too soon to start thinking along those lines. I think it might be too soon. I mean, we get it so heavily in the first two episodes mm-hmm. that I think it sort of establishes what the stakes are. And I think that we probably will, further it a little bit with each new location i mean in numenor there is this whole conversation about like why they kicked out the elves <laughs> right <laughs> and like there's a lot of stuff that's being unsaid but suggested about like this distrust of the elves and in episode two we had Durin's father saying sort of the same thing so i think that we are laying the track for paths of corruption and i think we're just gonna have to see how those play out over time because i'm very curious i mean like right now we're seeing a lot of characters attempt to join up and find common ground and eventually that's not going to work out right i mean we know it can't work out so i think that introducing this sense of like literal and figurative light in the beginning and then returning to it every so often, I think is going to be effective and still maintain the core idea. I think in um, the fellowship of the ring, the ring itself is such a great catalyst for everybody on this theme. It's just, it's just, Mm -hmm. you know, and how the, how each character responds to this ring, what the ring signifies, what it says about, about uh, power and and, and corruption and temptation, uh, what it says about, our lead character and and his ability to his humility is his ability to be the type of person, be the only type of person uh, who can do what is necessary about this ring really belonging to evil, not, not being able to be wielded any other way. I mean, again, it's, you know, it it just offers up by its nature as a narrative, um, this really compact economical way of, of addressing these themes. So I think it's a, I think, That in that respect, I think I am certainly willing to kind of allow the show the space to kind of get there, however it's going to get there, because it does. These themes can be you know touched on a lot of different ways throughout the vast scope of the of the show. Uh, um, It doesn't have to necessarily be all front and center right away. And like the Hobbit did it with the Ark and Stone, right? I mean, like that was sort of a similar, like people are fighting over this object that holds like varying degrees of importance and, you know, allure to contrasting groups. I think that if we see Mithril on Rings of Power, I wonder if that could sort of serve a similar purpose. Uh, But I think that's a good point, Scott. It's like right now we're getting like, 
everybody is on a journey towards something, but there isn't that like one shared, everybody in the universe understands that this thing is covetable, but also evil. Like we haven't gotten that sort of shorthand yet. And I'm curious how the show could implement that. I don't know if that's supposed to be Theo's like broken sword handle. Mm, yeah. I, I, don't, I have no idea what that's supposed to be about. Am I supposed to know? <laughs> Am I supposed to get it? No. I, I, don't think you're, I don't think you're supposed <laughs> okay, to know. I mean, I think that the, I think the illusion is there. And mm -hmm. I think that the orcs are digging to try to find it. So him taking it with them is an idiotic move because he's the worst. Uh, <laughs> I also think, I mean, something that I am sort of like interested in is like the elves being convinced that the humans of the humans who are from where Bronwyn is from are like more evil, right? I mean, like the humans from the East are like more bad. So I'm curious if the show is going to further explore that at all and sort of use like the sword handle as a way to do that. Like, does it fall into the wrong hands of someone or does it just further corrupt Theo? Uh, I apologize to the show. If it further corrupts Theo, I do not care at all. <laughs> oh, you're really just like I, out on that dude. No, like I, you're, I, you're, mean, I don't mind. I don't mind the actor. I just I feel like the character is just such an obvious like. Let's make a annoying child who makes bad decisions, and that'll be like a shortcut for bad things to happen. And that sort of frustrates me a little bit. She's yeah. He's not great like Nori. The, uh, no, the character no, everyone agrees agrees is great. Yes, of course, <laughs> <Yeah>. including Scott. <laughs> <laughs> While we're talking about sort of just the the big themes, what struck me watching Fellowship in relation to these first three episodes, because I agree that like sort of the the big ideas aren't there yet, or they're just sort of like percolating way, way in, in the background outside of those sort of introductory scenes. But I think where this feels most like fellowship to me is in this idea of like interspecies slash interracial cooperation. And like, like mm -hmm. I think pretty much every character pairing or, or matchup we have is a different races y mm -hmm. you know like there we're not we're not getting like the humans over here and the elves over here and you know everyone's sort of like you know encountering someone who's different from them and figuring them out in the context of, of what's going on and that is i mean it's sort of right there in the name of fellowship like the whole movie is about this group of nine coming together with a, a common goal and in rings like there's not a common goal yet we know what the common goal is eventually going to be but so like it, it does sort of lack that that like binding material that, of, of the ring that, that that fellowship has but there is sort of this just on a narrative level, this satisfaction of seeing characters kind of come together and figure each other out and figure out what they have in common and what they're working toward. And again, I come back to that uh, scene between Durin and, and Elrond, you know, as just being kind of a really good example. And not even a scene, I guess it's it's most of the episode. And, and obviously, Fellowship has some like very kind of humorous and memorable dwarf elf interactions and it's maybe you know calling to that in a in a way in a subtle way with those scenes but like 
I found those some of the most satisfying of these early episodes because they are just functioning more on that character level with, you know, obviously the the push of plot uh, momentum behind it. But it felt like some of my favorite parts of Fellowship. And even on the flip side, something that I am glad that they're taking a little bit of time to explain uh, is that in in Jackson's adaptations, there was Gondor, which had humans, right? And then there were like the men from the East who they presented as like Ottomans who were just evil mm, and like yeah. served, oh. served Mordor That's right. because like they wanted to be evil. And I, that was always just sort of like, I would like to know more about like, what do the other humans think about this? Like past Rohan, past Minas Tirith, past the Ottomans that we don't meet. And so I like that in this, we are getting like Bronwyn's village and the village nearby. And then we're also getting Numenor, which has its own complicated, divergent relationships with the elves. And so I, I also sort of like this exploration, not only of how do human and el- humans and elves get along or how do dwarves and elves get along or all of that sort of stuff. I also like the human to human friction, mm. which I think could lead us into interesting directions because they are amping up so much this fear of humans being weak and susceptible in a way that no one else is. I'm sort of interested to see that play out if we then do get sort of, you know, I I guess, warring factions of humans. I mean, I know that that happens in Tolkien's works. So I'm also sort of interested to see where that goes and how that develops as well. Yeah, we've, we've kind of touched on, you know, Middle-earth as being a, a, a place of, of great geographic diversity, which is good find in shooting in New Zealand, because New Zealand <laughs> can give you a lot of different, a lot of different looks, as, as, as they say. Uh, but you really, I think the show is doing a good job of establishing different places as, as having different looks and, and different customs and, and different people. I really was impressed with Numenor kind of breaking with the sort of fantasy Middle Ages look mm-hmm. of both this, the rest of the series and the films, because I mean, these, these are thousands of years before, 2,500 years, I believe, precisely before the events of Lord of the Rings. And yet, the world seems largely unchanged technologically, architecturally, and so on. <laughs> but this is like really feels like a Mediterranean kind of Byzantium, Egypt, kind of like just sort of a hodgepodge of of, of Mediterranean cultures that felt a little bit more like ancient world. It felt a little bit more like pre-medieval. It, all, it feels like when you see this, these giant statues in Fellowship, they seem to be of an earlier style of art. I think we're getting a little bit of that with, with Numenor, too. I wonder if we're going to get more of that. But I mean, whereas I feel like the, the Jackson films are kind of definitely locked in to a particular look. There's different places, but it's all very much medieval Europe as It's as all imagined. the same map. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, should we say anything about how uh, on Numenor you can't get a good job unless you're part of the guild or the union, so therefore right. unions are bad? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I laughed at that very much. I was like, are you really saying that our human hero is like going through a hard time because he can't join the guild? I mean, the series is from Amazon. It is on Prime <laughs> oh, wow. Video. Oh, yeah. Just, uh, you know, just a fun conspiracy theory. It's no too. Man Land all over again, guys. Yeah, yeah. It's important. <laughs> we got to add that in here. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think just sort of in terms of the the geography of the and the look of the geography of the the show versus the film, like Rings of Power is, is very beautiful and it's again shot in New Zealand and there's there's some beautiful landscapes. It does feel less like real and tactile to me mm-hmm. than the, like those shots in Fellowship of them hiking over the mountains, you know, <laughs> you know, like that's sort of the quintessential shot of Fellowship in particular for me. Rings does feel it feels like it's like showing off more more places, and I do appreciate that. Like like Keith said, like we're getting different looks, but it, at the same time, it feels a little more constructed i guess to me whereas mm-hmm. fellowship like you like it felt like a real place it was a real place you know and it felt a little more transportative whereas rings of power can feel more like i'm looking at a painting or a you know a, a beautifully digitally rendered photo <laughs> you know and it's i don't dislike it in rings i uh, but watching them back to back it did just sort of highlight how much more tactile fellowship feels in its sort of depiction of of the landscape and not just like the i'm not just talking about like the big uh vistas even something like the um like the scene roxana was talking about earlier where the hobbits are hiding in the tree branch from the from the nazgul you know just like that that felt like dirty and real and forced flory in a way that rings of power can feel more like a set, you know, mm. and uh, very well executed, but it does lack a little of, like I said, the tactileness of fellowship. I'm waiting for more grime. I yeah. think like yeah. we're all yeah. just waiting for somebody to other get than the grime on bit. Nori's face that uh, yeah. that Scott doesn't like. She yeah. Did yeah, except because <laughs> because all the all like the other stuff comes through, all the makeup y stuff comes through. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Way 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 outdoes the grime. But I think that's a good point in that like Nori and Poppy and Nori's siblings in the Blackberry Patch felt very real to me. Like them sort of like setting up their camp felt a little Jim Henson, like we've made a set look like mm, outside yeah. rather than actually being outside. <laughs> um, but them and the Blackberry Patch, or I'm thinking of like Glodril swimming back from jumping off the ship to Valinor, like those moments where we were willing to sort of interrupt how golden and beautiful things Mm. are those moments felt more like okay we're like in a real place and like this could be an actual thing that's happening i think i wonder you know as we move further away from the elves and how perfect they are i wonder if that will feel more real the, 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 the Harfoots are not fooling anybody with their little grass hats. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say that. Uh, but like, but the, uh, but I think, I think what the point that Jeremy was making is pretty crucial. I think in, in that I think we need to to get a sense in the the adventure of uh, the Fellowship of the Ring that is it a it is a long arduous journey that is mm-hmm. you know that it's not mm-hmm. just it's not just characters encountering obstacles that they have to get past or having moments together they are on a long trek across a vast landscape and that la- we have to feel like that is hard 
you know, and just get, you know, because mm-hmm. you get to that moment in Fellowship of the Ring where they, you know, they, they finally, you know, they get to R- Rivendell or, and it's just, it, it was such a pain in the ass to get there and to ask, you know, for, for Frodo to volunteer to continue is just, it's, it, it's huge. And it, we, we feel like we feel the weight of that sacrifice of that gesture because we because we 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 know how hard it has been just to get to where they've gotten already uh and they're not even they haven't even formed the fellowship yet so maybe i'm again waiting for that to have the same feel here and i think i just feel like so much of that is in the direction it's just maybe my film snobbery coming through it's just it's just i, I just wish i felt like i was in the hands of somebody who was directing my you know who was kind of like really had a strong vision that i was being propelled through rather than just kind of like being in the sandbox which is fine uh but uh not as stimulating for for me i suppose so far you're not watching more yeah i was gonna say i was gonna say (laughs) (laughs) oh i will i will i promise i'll get to it guys i'll I'll get to it I'll get to it. Kiss of death. Look, there's there's Kiss so much there's so much television. If it's not if it's not ringing your bells, you know, it's maybe it's time to move on to another right. show. There's lots of other TV or rewatch Two Towers and Return of the King, Correct. which I really want to do now. <laughs> I'll do that yeah. for yeah. sure. That's happening. Yeah, I watch this with my kid, uh, and and you know, you know, I want to move on to the other the oh, other yeah. two now. So, all right, well, we're going to move on as well. Uh, the Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring is currently streaming on Prime Video and HBO Max, and it's available through the usual digital rental platforms. In addition to being available on physical media, I watched the 4K release that came out last last year, I think. It looked amazing. The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power is now on Prime Video. Finally, it's time to recommend a film or film-related item that complements this set of episodes. We call it Your Next Picture Show in the hopes it will put some interesting choices on your radar. Uh, we're going to keep it token. Uh, uh, we're going to keep token along uh, with uh, with our Your Next Picture Show. I watched, unlike two of my co-hosts, I watched the longer version of The Fellowship <laughs> of the Ring because Peter Jackson did longer cuts of all three of these. And it's been a while since I've seen the theatrical cut. It's been a while since I've, you know, well, no, actually, that's not true. I did watch the theatrical cut not that long ago, but I, um, you know, I, I remember liking this version uh, version better, and I revisiting it, you know, confirmed that for me. I, uh, I did like the extra. It's not a lot, you know. It's it is. I, well, I guess it adds up to about half an hour, but it's like little touches here and there. It's not like there's major scenes that have been reinserted or things like that. But, but I really enjoyed moments like the hobbits early on, seeing the elves leaving for the west. And, and the forest and, and other wonderful moments that Genevieve and Scott mix, missed. Uh, Roxana, what's, what's your opinion of the longer cuts? Uh, yeah, the longer cut rules. I mean, <laughs> yes, it's only a half hour, but it is, I think, really useful for building out some of these characters and some of these locations. You get more time in the beginning with Frodo and Bilbo and with Bilbo and Gandalf, I think Mm -hmm. in a way that does a really good job showing how close Frodo and Bilbo are and how sort of overlapping their yearning to sort of see more of the world is, which I think makes the extended cut makes clear that Frodo does not yet like know that about himself, but in becoming so close with Gandalf and in becoming so close with Bilbo, that sort of teases it out. I think probably my favorite part of the extended version 
is when the fellowship has been established and they are leaving Rivendell, Elrond is sort of like overseeing their departure and he is like wishing them well and like good luck, like get out there, you know, destroy the ring. And there are two moments that I think are great. Uh, Aragorn and Arwen sort of share this look that further communicates the love that they have for each other and the sacrifice she has made by giving him, you know, her pendant and like her grace to sort of protect him on this journey. And as they're walking out of Rivendell, Frodo is leading the group and he doesn't know which way to go. So he asks Gandalf if he should turn left or turn right to, you know, make it to Mount Doom. And it's adorable. (laughs) It's so cute. And it's just a sense of like the great sacrifice that they're making. I mean, they don't know what they're getting into, but they're trusting the rest of the fellowship and the other hobbits love Frodo and they're doing whatever they can for the greater good, which is so much of what the themes are here. So I love all that stuff. You get a lot more Galadriel. uh, And I think that you know, spending more time with her and the gifts that she gives each member of the fellowship are really interesting. I think you get more Gimli, and I think Gimli is probably the character that the trilogy uses most for humor, just because he is so gruff and brusque. And I think you get a little bit more time with him here to understand the dwarf elf friction and to understand his changing relationship with Galadriel I think is really important so I think the extended edition probably benefits all the characters a little bit and just helps them feel a little bit more rounded out but Keith do you have like a certain like a specific thing that you love most about the extended edition? No not really I think the clear thing you pointed out is like you know you just get a little bit more of everything Mm -hmm. you also get um I think uh, 20 full minutes of extra credits of all the fan club members. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so wait, wait, what do you get? 20 minutes of credits of all the fan club members that, that oh, you know, yeah. something. You know, it's just, it really oh, is. Because I, I was looking, I'm like, four hours? No, yeah, I'm not going to do that. And then you guys are talking about how it's only 30 minutes. I was like, well, I yeah. probably could have done that. Here I was thinking that it was an extra hour of content. I remember <laughs> now I'm kind of regretting it because everything Roxana is saying is very much speaking my language in uh, terms Genevieve, of what I like about this movie. Do it, do it tonight when we get off. <laughs> just watch it again. What's the problem? I remember the longer two towers being better too, and I remember. Oh. Um, watching being excited to sit down and watch the longer version of return of the king and then like my wife and this is years ago my wife and i attempted to watch it i think on thanksgiving after a heavy meal with champagne it's like so we should we need to actually go back and watch the longer cut one I, of these years but i actually yeah. prefer the longer cut of return of the king i i don't you get more saruman don't you? you get more stuff you get more ceremony you get the mouth of sauron who is mm. like horrifying but oh, I, yeah. I actually feel like extended edition of two towers is not that great okay well, well, maybe i liked I'll, i i like the, the longer version of that but i've only seen the longer versions of, of all, all of them the one time i think yeah. that all the extended editions are better than the theatricals i just think that two towers is probably the one that i like the least oh, if that not makes as, sense not as uh 
Yeah. It's the least yeah. But all this but... talk of more Eladriel is uh, making me think that, you know, as I get deeper and deeper into the rings of power, I'm going to appreciate <laughs> yeah, having all really, that material. As you really uh... continue watching it. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I'm going to put a parlay bet on it. Really. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that is it for this edition of The Next Picture Show. We'll be back to talk about all the future episodes of Rings of Power with discussion led by Scott. <laughs> uh, no, I'm kidding. We'll be back next week with a new pairing. Jenna, you want to set us up for episodes releasing on October 4th and 11th? It's been 27 years since Erwin M. Fletcher, an investigative reporter and trouble finder, last ambled his way to the big screen. But the Fletch in the new comedy Confess Fletch bears little resemblance to the disguise-wearing goofball played by Chevy Chase in the 1985 hit. Director Greg Matola, whose previous work includes The Day Trippers and Adventureland, favors a low-key vibe more in keeping with Gregory McDonald's novels. He's cast John Hamm as the eponymous character, a freewheeling smart aleck who pokes into a mystery involving a stolen Picasso and a murder for which he's the prime suspect. Among the colorful characters is Roy Wood Jr. as a cop nicknamed Slow-Mo for his deliberate style, Kyle McLaughlin as a germaphobic art dealer who loves electronic dance music, and Ham's Mad Men partner, John Slattery, as a salty newspaper editor. Matola and Ham's laid-back approach to a murder mystery has less in common with the original Fletch than a film like Robert Altman's 1973 neo-noir The Long Goodbye, which stars Elliot Gould as a mumbly, wisecracking private eye who has a Fletch-like habit of stumbling into a case. For now, we welcome your feedback on both flavors of the Lords of the Rings we discussed this week, the Fellowship of the Ring and the Rings of Power, and anything else film-related you'd like to talk about. Email us at comments at nextpictureshow.net or leave us a voicemail at 773-234-9730. Before we close out this week's episode, where can we find everyone these days? Genevieve? Oh, uh, I am the TV editor at vulture.com, and you can find me tweeting very sporadically uh, at Genevieve Kosky. Roxana? Yes, I am a TV critic at Vulture, so you can find me there. And in the inverse, I am tweeting too much. <laughs> at? At uh, Roxana underscore Hadadi. Scott, where can we find you? Well, well, I'm also an underscore on, on Twitter, so shout, shout out to that uh, way of uh, pu- putting your name on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, at, I'm at Scott underscore Tobias, and uh, you can find uh, my work at the New York Times, at, at Vulture, uh, at Guardian, and other fine publications. Uh, you can find quite a lot of my work at The Reveal, uh, which is the su- uh, Substack newsletter that uh, uh, Keith and I uh, run. Uh, I would encourage you all just to sign up. You don't have to, It's free. Most of our stuff is free. Just get a, get a taste for it. See what you think. And uh, if you want to subscribe after that, that would be that would be great. But uh, just, just look at it. You know, give us a shot. Um, <laughs> Keith, what about you? Oh, no, you have to pay. Sorry. Uh, that, that is my, <laughs> that is my take on <laughs> No, no, we, we, we certainly would love it if you would. But, you yeah, check it out. We got to do like can. we got a red wedding the whole the whole newsletter. Just like, bam, <laughs> just shut them all in. Shut everybody <laughs> in the newsletter. That's, yeah. how, that's how technology works, right? <laughs> I'm not sure. But you can find my writing there quite a bit. Uh, and I think by the time this comes out, we'll be deep into like a, a David Bowie on film series that we're, we're talking about over there. That's in, enticing yes. at all. Uh, you can also find I'm a freelance writer. You can find my, you know, I, I tweet it. KFIP 3000, where I link to most of my, you know, I'm linked to my writing, which is you can find at places like GQ, The Ringer, Vulture, and TV Guide. 
And oh, and since both of you were too uh, modest to shout it out yourselves, I will note that both Roxana and Keith have been writing about Rings of Power at Vulture, including a very great essay that Roxana wrote. And Keith is recapping every episode, as you mentioned currently. So uh, if you want more of their thoughts, go check those things out specifically. Yes, and I actually just sent a, a, a correction to my recap that has, was supposed to run tomorrow uh, to uh, to my editor. Maybe maybe you could actually fix that, Genevieve. Now that I, think I about will it. do that. Yes, <laughs> um, uh, and you can find our absent co-host on Twitter at Tasha Robinson. She is at Tasha Robinson, and she's a film distributor at Polygon. And you can stay updated on the Next Picture Show at nextpictureshow.net and on Twitter at, at nextpicturepod. Get bonus content and open discussions at patreon.com slash nextpictureshow. And as always, we appreciate your rating and reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. Thanks to Dan the Bake Jakes for his assistance producing this podcast. The Next Picture Show is proud to be part of the Film Spotting family of podcasts. Please tune in next time. You just